The Department of Defense is blazing a trail in the development of lasers, phasers, and directed energy weapons. And the terrifying ways that the new smart world that is emerging is making privacy an archaic notion. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you doing out there under the chemtrails? Oh, my gosh. It's solar radiation management. It is not chemtrails. They want you to call it chemtrails. And I was the biggest skeptic ever, but I believe it is now becoming undeniable. I will even say that maybe they're, they are contrails. Everybody who thinks chemtrails are conspiracy theory say, no, no, they're contrails. I'm like, okay, but they come out of a plane and they stretch across the sky. What is a contrail? Bl- blot out of the, at the sun. What they're saying is, oh, you're crazy. There's nothing in those. It's just massive amounts of water vapor that is a natural byproduct of jet fuel, which I find a little hard to believe, but they're they're saying that's just the way it works. And when I look back on my childhood, I saw teeny little contrails. They were the tiniest things. They were rare. They did not last. The only thing that lasted was skywriting. And people who say, who are my age, who say they don't remember that, or they remember this stuff. That is not true. They don't remember this stuff. And it maybe it is water vapor. I don't know. But it's changing the weather. And I think we should get past what you call it and just say, hey, man, why are you allowed to spew that stuff all over the sky and change the weather and make it ugly because it's too sunny or whatever? You know what I mean? The climate change thing, It's they say that this is to combat global warming, but... There's so much disinformation around the global warming thing. It's you know it's not a real problem. Whatever the problem is is not what they're telling us it is. So this solution to that problem, I don't believe that either. I guess they want to control the weather. That's what they're doing. But I don't care what's in it. It's just spreading across the sky and blotting out the sun. And it bums me out. Well, that picture you showed me earlier looked pretty apocalyptic. Yeah, and I w- when I was in Ocean City, New Jersey last year, I was the sky was like completely blue on one side, and then over the ocean were clouds. I've been going to Ocean City, New Jersey since before I can remember, and never in all that time did I ever see these like ominous, huge, 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 big, puffy clouds, huge, all different colors, dark light. The sun was reflecting crazily on them, just coming up over the horizon with a totally blue sky. I mean, it wasn't like storm clouds coming. It was nothing, like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I saw for days after that tons and tons of contrails <laughs> stretching and spreading across the sky. And you just look at that, and that's you can't just sit there and look and say, oh, that's uh, God's awesome power you know it's not it isn't that you can't get anything natural out of it it makes you just wonder what are they up to anything that's unprecedented from fires to floods to storms like this radical crazy didn't uh at more news one tweet us a picture of hail in mexico it's july like tons of it. Did you see like that? Is that the one where they were snowing and there was trucks driving through the snow or something like that? It they were, I think I thought it was a snowplow. That was, it was real. Just, oh well, she said it, she had. I, I think it was real. I mean, I mean, I saw it. I didn't. I didn't investigate it further. But it's a yeah, shocking. It looked, it's in RT, which is Russia Today. Mm, it really does not look real. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought when I looked at it. I was like, that, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh it. 
let's just say, sorry to slow you down. I've never seen it before. Mexican City buried under two meters of ice in freak hailstorm, July 1st. Yeah. I mean, that absolutely 100% looks real. And it's on Is RT, it Mexico which, it's snowing? It said Mexican City. What city? Guadalajara. Oh, I've been to Guadalajara. I don't know. What's the weather like down there? Is Guadalajara it? is right near Tequila. Uh, I, it's, I mean, there, there, there are green trees popping up out of there. When I was there, it, was, it wasn't, like, cold. It's, all of Mexico is south of us. Like, all of Canada is north. Like, when you think about that, like, all of their weather is southern of our southernmost. And all of the, you know, I mean, just saying. It's July. Yeah, it seemed kind of strange. It's crazy. Yeah, you're right. It totally looks not real at all, but it you can see it. Speaking of unprecedented, I saw this headline today, which I'll look into further later this week. Headline from the National Post, caution urged as scientists look to create human monkey chimeras. Some uh-huh. Alzheimer's researchers are proposing the creation of human monkey chimeras, part human beings with entire portions of the brain entirely human derived. Did you ever are you a Michael Crichton fan? What does he do again? Michael Crichton, well, he wrote Westworld, the original screenplay. Okay. But he also wrote Andromeda Strain. He writes these he was a medical doctor, Harvard guy, I think, and he started writing these books that were are absolute page turners and they have a lot of science in them there it was the first time i read his book i forget what it was called it was about global warming and it it was about the hysteria the hysterical like environmental cases and what they would go but this was so long ago that when i read it i laughed i was like this this book is too too implausible like it's just too far-fetched that people would like get hysterical over over the environment and then as it's unfolded i mean it's worse and worse and worse than even he had said back then it was that was a good book i can't remember the name but then he also wrote a book called next about a monkey human hybrid and he was talking about gene editing and that these corporations When are, did he write well, that? Yeah, he wrote next. When? When did he write? Well, he's been dead a while, unfortunately. I was super bummed by that. I'm saying next was I'm going to say 15 years ago, but it could be it could have been 10. Gene editing is fascinating. I've been researching that a good bit. I want to do a show on it here sometime soon. Well, this this book was he talks it just alerted me to the fact that like the government subsidizes research at universities and the universities sell them or cut in the corporations and then the corporations can patent genes which like your gene like they whatever it is i don't know how it was working they but can like, get a patent on some on of gene my that, genes yes it was something like something crazy like that which I mean, it's impossible to believe, but it was just so nuts. It's like if they take it on and do something with it, they can they can own it. Wow. So I guess that means they own the person, whoever's genes they it take. Was, it point. was very weird. Like you couldn't do anything with it. I'm going to tell you. It was 2008, so 11 years ago. Hmm. Highly recommend. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> no, it's it's some serious. It's uh, I asked you about it. 
Yes. Find my notes here because I would like to talk to you about some weapons that we are blazing a trail, according to one congresswoman. The Department of Defense is blazing a trail in the development of, for the purposes of the the NDAA Act, the National Defense Authorization Act. I know you've talked about that on the show before, how Mm -hmm. that's always approved every year. Yes, no matter what. Well, I watched a Council on Foreign Relations think tank that was about our development of these basically future weapons in competition with China and Russia, you know, for the purpose of outpacing them and for, you know, defending ourselves or preempting whatever, whatever they want to call it. And there's some really fascinating weapons that I I found that we seem to be developing. This is the Council on Foreign Relations, and this is a Republican congresswoman. Her name slips my mind, but I will put it in the show notes. My colleagues and I on Capitol Hill are working very hard to ensure that we have everything we need in order to deter and, if necessary, defeat any threat to our homeland. And that is evidenced by the work that we are doing um, on the NDAA. And in this year's National Defense Authorization Act, we prioritized emerging technologies such as AI, hypersonics, directed energy, and quantum computing to ensure we can maintain our military advantage well into the future, of course, by blazing a trail of technological advancement. Okay. Okay. You you go ahead. That's Joni Ernst. Joni Ernst. She's a Republican from, I don't remember where. I don't know. That's all I got. Do you like her? I don't even know who she is. She was a big fan of these weapon systems in this panel discussion. Now, I looked up what these weapons are, like what are hypersonic weapons and what are directed energy weapons and quantum computing, like what they're developing right now. And I found some pretty interesting stuff. The hypersonic weapons, these are all from military websites. Conventional prompt global strike weapons would allow the United States to strike targets anywhere on Earth in as little as an hour – The capability may bolster the U.S. efforts to deter and defeat adversaries by allowing the United States to attack high-value targets or fleeting targets at the start of a conflict. Congress has generally supported this mission um, but restricted the funding for several years. Recently, recently, however, efforts to develop a long-range prompt strike capability along with other efforts to develop extremely fast hypersonic weapons have garnered increased support. How do you face advanced global threats? With a missile so fast it could travel from New York to Los Angeles in 39 minutes flat. It's pretty fast. Yeah, who's who in New York is bombing Los Angeles? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this is what I'm they're worried tired about. Of each other. It's definitely not. It's not. It's they're not. It, their real plan is not using it against these other people because what they do is they. So like the, she said, this is to keep our military advantage, but the. We have an unbelievable military advantage. We have to give the stuff away. Oppenheimer gave Russia the bomb. Corbett did that great report on Rockefeller getting all that tech over to China. We have to give it away so that they are then a threat so we can up the ante on defense spending. Yeah. And this stuff they use against us. Yeah. I mean, the Internet was a, was a DARPA creation. Yeah, yeah. Listen to this. The United States may face the dismal choice between incapacitation or nuclear escalation if attacked with a hypersonic weapon without a credible equal response. 
However, by developing a more precise technology and specifically integrating hypersonic weapons with uh, U.S. Navy submarines, the U.S. may gain an edge in developing the fastest, most precise weapons the world has ever seen. The speed of sound at sea level is 720 miles per hour. Hypersonic weapons travel faster than Mach 5, at least five times the speed of sound, around 3,600 miles per hour or one mile per second. The bottom line (laughs) is that hypersonic weapons will determine who precisely is prompt enough in the 21st century conflict. It's an arms race in speed. And who's the adversary? China and Russia. They're developing these also, according. Okay, here's here's the problem. China and Russia have like a fifth of our defense budget or a half. Or whatever. Like we have the same defense budget as the rest of the world combined. Russia, China, and everybody else combined. Yeah. So why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if they're doing this on a fraction, on a shoestring, then... Uh, we got bigger problems, I guess, but we contribute. It just it doesn't ring true to me that those guys are way ahead of us on this, except for the fact that we have given them so much of the tech. Yeah. Now, directed energy weapons. This is where it gets really interesting here. You've heard of targeted individuals, right? Yes, targeted individuals is when they figure somebody they want to, like, torture or follow or mess with and yeah. get into legal trouble and all that kind of stuff to neutralize them on the bigger picture, right? Yeah, and from my understanding of it, they use microwave uh, like weapons to kind of, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not adept on this uh, uh, this subject. So, um, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding of it, people believe some people believe that are target individuals. They believe that there are people who are using energy weapons to basically communicate things right into their ear. So the way I picture it is there's a couple CIA officers or somebody, FBI agents, somebody sitting somewhere with a microwave weapon. They got the targeted individual, and they're communicating to this person things that are making them go crazy. Well, the Navy Yard shooting, yeah. I think, sounded like that. And Remember there's that? some of these shooters. Alexis. There's a video. Well, I saw one of them. guy made a video claiming to be a targeted individual before he went on a rampage. So here's the directed energy weapons expose. Directed energy weapons – have several advantages over conventional weaponry. Um, They can be used discreetly. Radiation above and below the visible spectrum is invisible and does not generate sound. Light is only very slightly altered by gravity, giving it the almost perfect flat trajectory. It is almost practically practically immune to to windage and coralous force. This makes the aim much more precise and extends the range to light of sight, to line of sight. Limited only by beam diffraction and speed and absorption absorption or scattering by intervening atmospheric contents. So they're precise and they can target people very specifically with these weapons. And they they go on and say the laser travels at light speed and have near infinite range and therefore are suitable for use in space warfare. This is directed energy? Yeah. They call them laser weapons. Don't people say, I don't believe this particular, or I have had no reason to believe it because the conventional explanations were fine for me, uh, that 9-11 was a directed energy weapon thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, going through some of these weapons they've already have and they're already testing, it seems like they have pretty strong capabilities to – 
I'm going to read some of the effects of what these weapons can do in a moment, which is kind of startling. Um, laser weapons potentially eliminate many logistical problems in terms of ammunition supply. As long as there's enough energy to power, uh, the laser a- ammunition supply is assured. Now, these directed energy microwave weapons, they have an active denial system. That's what it's called, one of them. Active denial system is a millimeter wave source that heats the water in a human target's skin and thus causes incapacitating pain. It was developed by the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory and Raytheon for riot control duty. Through, though intended to cause severe pain while leaving no lasting damage, concern has been voiced as to whether the system could cause irreversible damage to the eyes. There Ooh. is yet. Uh, yeah, there's yet to be testing for the long-term side effects of exposure to the microwave beam. And what about the cops that are on the scene? They don't care about them either? I guess maybe they're behind it. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe they don't care. It can destroy unshielded electronics. The device comes in various sizes, including attached to a Humvee. Uh, the Borfus HPM Blackout is a high-powered microwave weapon that is said to be able to destroy a short Distance a wide at short distance a wide variety of commercial off the shelf electronic equipment. Mind you, there's a big outage on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp today. Wow, that is so interesting. A local blackout. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And then another cat. These are all categories of these directed energy weapons. Another one they have laser weapons, and this one's called the Dazzler. The Dazzler is a directed energy weapon intended to temporarily blind or distort its target with intense directed radiation. Targets can include sensors or human vision. Here's the pulsed energy projectile. Pulsed energy projectile systems emit an infrared laser pulse which creates rapidly expanding plasma at the target – The resulting sound shock and electromagnetic waves stun the target and cause pain and temporary paralysis. The weapon is under development and is intended as non-lethal weapon and crowd control, though it also can be used as a lethal weapon. So crowd control in other countries? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, obviously it's on us. They're planning to use it on us. Yeah. If we get out of line, if we notice that we did not vote on – Emitting water vapor into the sky nonstop or putting 5G everywhere before it's proven safe. I mean – And we can't see these things. We're the crowds. You can't see these weapons. And they earlier it was saying that they have almost infinite range. Here's the electro laser. An electro laser first ionizes its target path and then sends a powerful elect- electric current – down the conducting track of ionized plasma, somewhat like lightning. It functions as a giant, high-energy, long-distance version of the taser or stun gun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't tase me, bro. That's bad. Yeah, countermeasures. The Chinese People's Liberation Army has invested in the development of coatings that can deflect beams fired by U.S. military lasers. <laughs> Laser light can be deflected, reflected, or absorbed by manipulating physical and chemical properties of the materials. I mean this is like uh, – what's the, what's the Marvel character who's the magician? Not the magician, but he does all the magic. I haven't watched the Mar- – I haven't been keeping up on Marvel. I can't believe I can't remember this guy's name. Sorry. 
Yeah, it'll it'll come to me later. I'm sure people listening know who I'm talking yes. about. But that's like magic, catching something and just manipulating the environment around you. It does sound like alien stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do, do they really need this? Like, is this really – I mean, even the governments have enough bodies to throw at a riot. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe why not? do that when you have a directed energy weapon you can – do from the comfort of your own home to make people's mm-hmm. eyes bleed. One of the effects I read was that it will make people's eyes bleed. Oh my God. So can they make it like fake Ebola or whatever? Like they can they maybe that's a good point. They can make it look like people are having this horrible because things come out they're like oh it's unprecedented these horrible like yeah hail in Mexico and Guadalajara all of a sudden like crazy new diseases are going to pop up. Good point. Doctor Strange is who I was thinking about. Ah, very good. And here's one of the – you ask what purpose they need it for. Here's one. Planetary defense in the United States. Oh, my Sta- gosh. <laughs> planetary defense. No way. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's crazy. In the United States, the directed energy solar targeting of asteroids. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Manned pro- asteroids? Uh, maybe. <laughs> this is a project that um, – they're considering for non-use, non-military use to protect the Earth from asteroids. Fair enough. And they are preparing for full deployment of energy weapons. This is a military site. Um, they're making laser guns and then quantum entanglement, which I am don't really okay. know anything about. Do you know anything about quantum yes. entanglement? Yes. Oh well, I don't. I'm not sure about that. Let me just tell you one thing real quick. Just across my danged phone, just this second, it says Apple News Spotlight, a new study. Will change the way you look at the contrails coming off planes overhead. I'm Say that again? That this just flashed across my screen. Apple News Spotlight, a new study will change the way you look at the contrails coming off planes overhead. <laughs> Isn't that freaky? That's crazy. And the other thing I said on the show the other day was like white men, seven out of ten suicides are white males. And the next day in the AJC, it said uh, – Black youth suicide spiking, black youth male, whatever. And I was like, yeah, because they they didn't like the point I made. That's not true. I'm sure that was in the works before I said anything. But it's just these – I mean, and this wasn't a reflection of anything I said. It's just weird how this stuff just bubbles up all at – you know, like it makes me feel like I'm responding to cues. The contrails are ridiculous, though. Just freaking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> That is crazy that it showed up. It's not even not even targeted ads anymore. Tar- you're getting targeted news based on what you talk about and what you hear. Oh, you don't think it can hear? It is not doing. Oh, that. I'm I'm serious about targeted news. That's 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 the experience they're going for when you read the virtual reality and, and they're gathering the data stuff. They're they're going to be giving real time news based on our personalities, our psychological data, stuff that engages us into the Borg, into the grid that keeps us there. The whole the whole thing uh, about the YouTube YouTube uh, algorithm is this: that the YouTube wants people who put videos up that will keep people on YouTube for hours on end. That that so if your video is is likely to lead to somebody clicking on another video, on another right. video, on another video, then they you'll be there for that. days. It's going to be the same thing with news. Hold on, though. Are you suggesting is there a greater than one percent chance or zero point one percent chance? That this thing flashed across, across my screen because I just talked about it in front of my phone? I'm not saying that that's why, but no, I am no, saying – No, no, I'm just saying do you think it's a 1% chance or a less than 1% chance? 
I'd say one percent chance. I, that's what they're yeah. going for. That that yeah. is the that I've read about how this is the goal. Yeah, I I will I personalize news. I will experience. see your one percent chance and and raise it to two percent chance. Well, I what think that, what they right. really want because the news is going to be they don't want. I told you about the article that I read that was about is news going to be are words being replaced with pictures? So are words being replaced with just basically dumbed down, emotionally charged symbols where yeah. we don't ever have to read or think ever again. Yeah. And the way that that happens is news becomes virtual. So you don't read news. You experience news as though you were in whatever the event is that you're reading about. And the way that happens is CNN is already doing it on their website. You go to CNN. They have like CNN 360 or something like that. Yeah. You can put on your uh, – if you have a – Three, you know, virtual reality headset. You can put it on, or you can watch it on your phone, and it will feel like you you are there. You can look around and stuff, and that that's the ultimate goal is to get it to there and to get it to where it's augmented reality news, so that it, you experience whatever it is that they they put you in, and they they're going to personalize it. The whole idea is a personal experience that you can feel yeah. and touch. Uh, I'll tell you, I just went to the Apple News site. And I scrolled through all of the headlines that were on that right now. And all chemtrails. None. No, none. <laughs> yeah. So the thing that flashed across my screen was not related to something they just posted. That's crazy. Or any of the stuff that was posted on there. And that was Apple, too. It's, it's go, that was your phone. You're at the, That's the, right. The Apple it was news an on Apple phone, news feed. Which personalizes the news it sends you. It already does that. But does it personalize the news I'm talking about? I don't know. Maybe they've advanced. Because I did not look up. I never looked that stuff up. I don't care at all. Like, I'm not that interested. I, I see it. I've, it's obvious something's going on. That's all I care about. What, what was it I was going to – I have a clip about that, actually. The, I sent you – I texted you a picture of it. Real time. You know, the data collection stuff that I want to talk about later. Let's see if I can find it. It can do a lot with pictures. If I maybe we'll come across that data clip later, but there was a panel discussion at Brookings where they were talking about this info ecosystem that we're basically the smart world that we're living in, yeah. And how they are collecting real time. There, there, there's a bidding war for. I, I don't fully understand how it all works, but there's a bidding war or something for the ability to. Collect and collect real time data so that it can be used in real time on people who are who are using the web, who are reading news or doing whatever. So it was describing exactly what we're talking about right now. Collecting data in real time and personalizing it real time and then instantaneously feeding back to this person um, a personalized experience based on that real time data that was collected. Yeah, and it just in this case the data had to be either. Purely an image I sent you because I yeah. didn't tell you about it. I just sent you an image, and then I said what I said into this microphone, but it wasn't connected to an Apple device. That microphone isn't. It was just in the presence of the phone. Yeah, yeah. So – Phone here. That would all. really be – I mean I'm I'm actually – I moved it from 1% to like 10% now <laughs> because – Yeah, 10% yeah, sounds a little better now. This phone yeah. is big brother in our pocket. It's just too crazy. It just means that it is processing. That's like the time I took a picture of a shirt in the store a long time ago. And then when I opened my mail, there was a picture of that exact shirt from the store I was at in an ad. That I mean, happens so frequently now. It's crazy. 
I mean, there's just no chance that was a coincidence. There's absolutely no chance. It was just an obscure little shirt. It was <laughs> like, I don't even know the... Yikes. All right, so the entangled quantum thing. All right. Quantum entanglement. I know it's the whole thing where, where yeah. if they're entangled, then two atoms at a distance can affect each yes, other. This, I ju- did you listen? Did um, I just did this interview with Surviving the Minefield. So I know you know this guy. Uh, surviving the Minefield. Yes. So this is the interview I did yesterday. You were invited, but couldn't. Yes. But I don't know how we were talking about it. Maybe it was 5G, but there was a, a podcast I sent you of the Higher Side chat. Yeah. With a a guest, Cliff High, I think the guy's name was. I don't know him, but he, like, some of his stuff was like, wow, that's just awesome. And then some of the stuff was just too radical for me to even get my mind around, a lot of alien stuff. And he was saying, like, they're introducing UFO stuff into the news right now for some reason. But he's like, the aliens are real and communicating kind of thing. Hmm. So, which a lot of people believe. I don't. I. Just, I think they're real. I, yeah, I'm not even. I'm not even like up to chemtrails. I, just I mean, don't I get think it. We would I can, recognize them. I, I don't think yeah. we would know what they looked like if we saw them. They're right in front of us. I don't think we'd know. I have no idea. That's so complete. I'm still like ho- have hope for the Bill of Rights. Like I can't. <laughs> I'm just not up there. I'll get there. I'm sure I'll get there. Whatever. Whatever rabbit hole is in the rabbit. You know, to be found in the rabbit hole I'm in right now. I'm sure we'll find it. But one thing he said, and I mentioned this on on surviving the minefield was this idea of entangled quantum. He said 5G. Now 5G, he was like, oh, it'll be a flash in the pan. It'll come and go. It's going to take a long time to roll it out. So I don't think it's going to be that short-lived. But he was saying the next generation after that, so I will call it 6G. 6G. Trump's already called it 6G. Oh, okay. Well, it's he said it's you don't need a carrier, a transmission method like 5G is because it's about entangled molecules and atoms and i thought i immediately thought of that thing that i've always told people from the new york times this article i never saw it before since or anywhere else i'm sure it's out there but this from like 20 years ago where it said they separated the subatomic particles by seven miles and when they moved one the other one moved without delay yeah i mean that just defies everything we think about the dimensionality of the space and time that Absolutely. we live in. So for me, that is the most profound thing, the most earth Like You're like, why aren't they talking about UFOs on Fox? I'm like, why aren't they talking about that ever? Yeah, I, I find that I, I watched some documentaries about that a long time ago. I'd never thought about it in the realm of weapons, though. And the fact that they're talking about the Department of Defense uh, prioritizing making quantum entanglement weapons, I was like, what does that even mean? I, I don't even. Yeah, what what would they do with it? I understood completely what this guy was saying about the five G thing. Five G is a way to transmit information. Oh yeah, totally. And yeah, this yeah. guy was saying instantaneously, you can transmit information without a carrier. It's not even that there's no time delay. It's and that is a great part of it, but it, that there's no no need for a carrier, no need for a transmission vehicle. So what do you I, mean? Like, uh. A packet, a wave, like nothing has to go over anything, fiber optics or anything, because there's no there's no distance. It's like a wormhole. Okay. Like the two subatomic particles, if one is moving in one direction and the other one moves at the other simultaneously, you are transmitting that information. So if the I'm I was trying to think it through, and I'm thinking like if we tell tell of uh, like you're reading people's talking to people's minds. Well, 
I just thought if since it's digital, everything's digital. If it was analog, it wouldn't really I can't imagine how it would work, but it's digital. So if you just do thing one direction, if you just want to turn something on to one or zero and you can do it by making it making the subatomic particle that's in your possession reflect exactly the subatomic particle that's in some other place, it will turn on your one or your zero. Okay. okay. Without having to I could be completely wrong. I just was It sounds like quantum entanglement. Because they're entangled. Yeah. I I have no idea. I'm just I I don't I haven't heard of that. That might be right with five G. I don't I don't know. No, five G doesn't do that. Yeah. I'm saying that would be 6G, or that's what this guy was saying, quantum oh, entanglement. Oh, so he's saying 6G is going to be like is quantum he, entanglement communication. Yeah, we're not going to need 5G I anymore. See. 5G is a superior transmission and carrier device in that it's faster and more robust, but it has to be so much closer together that it's actually terrible, awful. It's destroying, you know, it's sick, makes you sick. Like, it's all bad. Yeah. But he was just saying it. it isn't like the forever G, it's it's just <laughs> it's just what we're gonna use, and maybe it's at, he didn't say this either. I'm I've just been thinking about the it. Forever so G, <laughs> what? The forever G. The forever G. Sounds like yeah. something a rapper would call his his wife. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a romantic term, I think. But the so the six G thing or whatever it would be, like maybe this is how they get from here to there. This is a part of it because like it's such a damaging and expensive and. Crazy, the 5G thing is just so much. And if it's not the forever thing, it's got to be a stepping stone to the next thing. But the next thing he was saying would be this. And I can conceive That's of it. That's interesting, yeah. I can. I think I can conceive of it. So uh, It does that, make sense. But I don't know how they would – well, I mean they're focusing on developing it, so possibly. Yeah, I mean I'm just thinking they would have registers turn on and off just like they do in a computer – but if they have the other half of it, I, I mean, I, I don't know how they're going to do it, and I could be thinking about it wrong, but I can conceive of it, yeah. which is kind of amazing. I, 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 but I cannot really conceive of the weapons thing. I don't – I guess what – That's also do? multiverse theory, quantum entanglement. Is it really? Yeah. Well, people, some people talk about that in terms of the multiverse, that we might be somehow entangled with our other selves and affecting them somehow. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's theoretically so... multiverse is possible. Yes, I understand that. And I, I just I feel like it's not necessary to think of that. Just the fact that there's a, a an ability for for something to connect out be without regard to the four gener four dimensions we recognize. I think the easiest explanation is there's like another dimension doesn't have to be populated by people with our name with by anything you know or like yeah. a wormhole thing like a folding over against itself i think that's how i prefer to think about it but uh, uh i guess i'm open to the multiverse thing i never thought it mattered a multiverse what difference does it make i think but if, I guess we, it if, does. We're, if it's we're communicating with it then if it affects yeah yeah us, right then... if it is if it's the answer then it matters <laughs> so what's the what's the weapon the one use that I couldn't get too deep into this one, but I did find one interesting use of it, and that is to – and this reminds me of a Star Trek weapon. Like in Star Trek, they have the Klingons. I'm not giving any yeah. spoilers really. They have a cloaking device. Yeah. So you can't see their ships. And the whole, the whole goal is somebody has a cloaking device. You've got to figure out a way to uncloak them. So quantum entanglement uh, used to detect stealth radar and – this, this, they were talking about on this military paper about how 
China's development and quantum entanglement is going to jeopardize our advantage in military weapons. And they say that in November of 2018, a Chinese electronics technology group corporation, their biggest defense electronics company, they unveiled a prototype radar that claims it can detect stealth aircraft in flight. The radar uses some of the exotic phenomena of quantum physics to help reveal planes' locations. Hmm. Uncloaking. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. That is interesting. And then, see, it's beyond my. I wish I had gone into science just so I could. I know it's really figure cool. this stuff out. You yeah, know? yeah, just so I can understand what's coming. But of course, but when you do that, you're completely sucked in. And if you know anything important, I'm sure you either cooperate or. Philip, whatever, Alan Jeffrey Lashett, that guy who's like a hybrid. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, that story just still is another one that just freaks me out. He has, That's the guy who was found dead in his car, right? Yeah, after a couple of weeks. And he and he, he thought he claimed to be a hybrid. He ate raw meat. <laughs> That's all he ate at the end. He had some crazy disease, which he died of. But the thing that gives some validity to his idea that he his claim that he worked with the government and was a hybrid which it might have just been like dna splicing is that he had amphibious vehicles and more guns and ammunition all of which were registered and legal than a regular person could possibly own under california law and they never talk about that there has to be a reason he had to have had government sanction to have all that stuff he had to have yeah Maybe he was an alien. Maybe he was a hybrid. I don't know. That's the thing. This stuff freaks me out because <laughs> I just – I can't get my mind around. So I don't – I I think uh, at a certain point, you're in for a dime. You're in for a dollar. So if I had been a scientist, I probably wouldn't be having this podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, one more little tech thing before moving on. The headline, China recruits kids to develop killer robots. Nice. Are they having a contest like DARPA has at MIT? China's brightest children are being recruited to develop AI killer robots. Beijing Institute of Technology recruits 31 patriotic youngsters for new AI weapons development program. Expert in international science policy describes the course as extremely powerful and troubling. Like LeBron James' son being recruited in kindergarten? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. LeBron James. I mean, that's what son. you told me. You were like, "Hey, these guys are getting recruited. Who's to say that we're not right? That these that they recruit everybody, government guys." Now look, I totally think they recruited Sergey Brin and the Facebook guy and Lady Gaga as teenagers. They did. They were at the thing. They were in the camp. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. but that's true. What was that story about the athletes? Um. Well, LeBron's James, LeBron James' son started getting recruited, I believe, in elementary school. <laughs> and a lot of these kids of these prominent athletes get recruited early. And anybody they, – they recruit kids. They offer scholarships to kids out of middle school. And I, I think thinking about it in that context – and they also groom. They also get to go to the best – these kids that are really good or that are the child of, of superstars, they get the best coaches. They go to the best training right. programs. They enter the best leagues. They have all the best opportunities to develop. And sometimes when you tell people that these politicians are groomed <laughs> from a young age, people go, oh, no, that's not – they don't on. believe you. But <laughs> in every other industry, really, yeah. most right. other industries, they are groomed from a young age, yeah. sports especially. 
every sport. But science, too, now that you mention science, it. Science, yeah. They, you're always taking tests for them to figure out who's the one. Yeah, so it's not so far-fetched that a politician might be groomed, recruited from a young age, when LeBron James's son is getting scholarship offers to, like, Ohio State in the fifth grade. James Comey, George Soros, I mean, these guys have some deep history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funny. All right. So the next subject I want to talk about for a little bit is um, privacy and what this emerging smart world is doing to our – what some believe our archaic notion of privacy, what these people at the think tanks believe anyway. And it's like how, how we think – we think about data, this, this data stuff in a – like we think about it, we say, yeah, we know we give our data away, but we really don't – most people really don't don't care or don't think about it like how it's really being used and all the ways data is being collected. We, we think – we put stuff on Facebook. We put stuff on Twitter. They collect it that way. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the way the data is being collected and how it's being collected and how it's being used. And I want to play you some clips from uh, Brookings – panel on this very subject that sheds some light on just what they how they collect our data what types of data they collect how they use it it's very enlightening these people don't care too much about privacy or consent when it comes to our data no i mean that's the thing about all this stuff 5g solar radiation management the data they they don't care i mean they set sergey brin on the task of making us not only profiled individually, but profiled as like herd mentality through our searches. That is just so nuanced to me. And they just did that. They did it. That was the government operation. They didn't ask us. It's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here is, here's clip number one. This is the quintessential privacy problem of our day. It has been the quintessential privacy problem of the last two decades, and it remains completely unaddressed. Despite what you're reading in the papers about four or five Goliath companies out of Silicon Valley being the thing that bedevils our privacy, the real issue is that there is an enormous and completely unregulated industry that's been around for 40 years that is buying up data, selling it to whomever they want at all points. So let me tell you what's happened in at least the last five years. Five years ago, I went on 60 Minutes, and I railed about this problem. And I talked a lot about the fact that there were companies that were buying and selling data, and that you could buy data about anybody, any malady, anything that had happened that was terrible in their life, and it was being sold to anybody who wanted to buy it. What's happened since that moment is we've moved from a moment when we're just talking about list brokerage, companies buying and selling data to and from each other, and frankly, to the governments around the world. And now we've got a moment when We've had an evolution in the practices, and now we're talking about scoring of each individual out there. So what has happened is that the companies, many of them in the marketing industry, many of them of them in the advertising industry, have taken this to the next level. They've taken the data they bought, uh, and they have done predictive work on that data, and they have begun to make decisions about what goods and services they are going to offer each and every one of us, primarily online, but certainly when we go into stores as well. So first point. We've moved from list brokerage, and now we're on to predictive scoring. And those scores are largely, almost entirely unregulated. Did you catch that? 
the scores? Is it like the Black Mirror credit scores? Yeah, that's a lot, that's what they're talking about. It, secret ways that scores are created about people and used to make decisions. Oh. And what he talked about, he, he pointed out that Facebook and Cambridge Analytica isn't when the whole fear about data collection started. But that's what they make people think. He he pointed out that this has been going on for 40 years. And they have these data brokers that collect these lists of people based on the data that they have. And they categorize them in these just crazy lists, and they use them, and they sell them. They sell them to whoever without people realizing it. And here, let, let me – Well, can I just point out that the 1974 Privacy Act was uh, there to address that? That is why your Social Security number is not the same as your driver's license number. They actually made it so that state, local, and federal governments could not communicate with you and pull everything up with a keystroke. And I did a lot. Uh, I did a lot of work on, and did a, spent a lot of time on my show in the early days when Eric Holder was breaking down the barriers between state and federal information sharing, and that was the number one byproduct, I think, of Sandy Hook. I think the number one thing that Sandy Hook did was information sharing. It, it was some, it was some major event. That when you looked at the executive orders, you looked at everything, it was just about information sharing. And there were exposés like people quit in the government because Holder was take it was uh, just running roughshod over the laws of that. Yeah. That So when he says 40 years, it was actually exactly, for, you know, 45 yeah, yeah, years it's, it's ago. Right on, yeah. This really started. I should have played this one first, but here's a description of what these data brokers are. There are five characteristics of data brokers but when we're talking about what it is we're, we're actually discussing that the FTC wrote about in 2014. The first is that these are companies that collect data from a variety of sources on consumers. We're going to be talking mostly about U.S. consumers today, largely without their knowledge, although that may be changing. And these records may be related to things like voting registration, bankruptcy, purchases, often through loyalty programs, online web browsing activity, and many more things that you can get from commercially available or publicly available and often government records. The second characteristic is that this uh, ecosystem, for lack of a better word, is very complex. Uh, Often we're talking about data brokers that are selling and reselling information uh, to each other in ways that may not even touch the end user. The third is that as an industry, we're talking about um, a, a vast array of data collection um, covering nearly every U.S. consumer, and I might say nearly every U.S. Um, individual. And these data sources are combined and analyzed together to often make inferences that are relevant to marketing and advertising. Uh, the fifth characteristic is that these sources can be both online and offline, And there is an increasing push towards technology that is able to combine online and offline sources. That's what the FTC said in 2014. That was the description from the um, FCC or FTC. Yeah. Now, um, here, this guy's talking about the list that they categorize them in, that these data brokers categorize people in. Now, this is this is interesting. If you've ever, um, you know, maybe had a family member who's had an addiction problem, which is about 30 million Americans, there is absolutely a list held about you and the member of your family who's had that addiction. Every single malady that you've ever had, they're selling that list. Every malady that your family members have had, 
Somebody is selling a list about that. There were rape victim lists. Some of those have been removed now, but there were actually people selling victims of uh, lists of people who, who were victimized by rape and other sexual assault. And I could go on and on and on. There, there is a list for everything, and now there is categorization of people into groupings based on all sorts of appearances and opinions about uh, people's attitudes so that you're being lumped into groups. So we've taken those maladies, those things that you can't control that maybe your family members have done, maybe they're, they've had a, a bad moment, they've been, not been able to pay their bills, and now you're being lumped into those things, and those lists are being sold about you. Okay, I got a few things to say about that. <laughs> All right. Did you hear him slip in opinions and attitudes? Yeah, I did. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, you know, there's that stuff that's relevant in your opinions and attitudes. So that's crazy and definitely what they're doing. I was just thinking, I wonder, you know who has the real data if you really want to hurt somebody is 23andMe. For, for a brief period of time, they couldn't do the health stuff, but they have a lot of people's DNA. Yeah. And I have no idea what the rules are around that. One of the guys talks about that. Oh, does he? Yeah, I, I don't have that clip, but they're, one of the guys oh. does talk about how if you, somebody does the 23andMe DNA in your family, then everybody in your family, uh, some of their data is now yes, going to be categorized. Yes, that thought occurred to me. But any baby you have gets their blood taken like before they spray the schmutz off. Like they <laughs> – they take the blood, maybe not before, but they take the blood before the baby leaves the delivery room. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So they, they say it's a test for phenylketone uh, neur. They have a 23andMe person just right there in the delivery room. I'm not saying that, but I'm I, I'm just saying like, and when my son was born with Down syndrome, they took his DNA, they took my DNA, my husband's. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know what. I think they basically are collecting all our DNA right away. Anyway, it is scary and stupid, and it bums me out. But I, because I did it by accident. Um, <laughs> oh, by accident? Well, like <laughs> stupidly, I should say, impulsively a long time ago. Because my father had a heart disease, and I just was worried about my son, because Down's kids have, like, heart problems, and I just wanted to know if I had that. It was genetic. So, I'm oh, so stupid. Anyway, uh, but the... The fact that this guy, all he's doing is focusing on maladies and stuff, like that he's fear-mongering, and that makes me nervous. And that's when I started to think that maybe I started to wonder that European Privacy Act was like, it had a very serious downside, if I, if I recall correctly. And, I, and I'm like, this guy's pushing for policy. And he's trying to scare us because when she said they're using this to target ads at you, and I'm like, that's great. I don't care at all. Like, I want them to use it to target ads at me because, A, I probably want half the stuff. And, B, if they're targeting ads at me, that means everything they're giving me and doing for me is free. And all I have to do is expose myself to the – or be exposed to these ads yeah. which are targeted to me. Like, there's nothing wrong – like, that is a completely benign application in my opinion. It freaks me out. I don't want to be surveilled. Yeah. But, and then I started looking into this stuff because you had given me a heads up that you want to talk about this. And I looked into the, the privacy and encryption stuff. And in 2014 and 2015, and she was citing the study from them, that's when all the, the talk about that, just like the cell phone stuff stopped in like 2012, there's, there's a certain point and the 5G stuff will stop. There's a certain point where 
they they know what the answer is and they just stop talking about it because <clears throat> because the answer is yes it's bad and and no we're not going to address this in any way and in 2014 and 2015 it's when everybody was freaking out about privacy and was annoyed at the government for demanding that there be uh back doors everywhere because it made it impossible for us to protect our own privacy and they were saying it was like in the name of cybersecurity but it made us less secure, not only to attack, but to this encroachment of privacy. There are private solutions to all of this, or, or there were at that time, at that moment in time. So I, when well, you like start, consent, you know, getting notice and consent, right? That that would be, uh, you know, well, well that let's, would be a let's law. see what they had to say about I'm that. I'm saying you don't even need a law. Like you need McAfee to figure it out. That's oh, all. I see. I'm just saying, like, you don't even need to address it like that. We can control all of it, but they make laws that say you can't control it because what it would be was encryption. Mm-hmm. And well, they won't. They I want to tell you it. what they have to say about okay. notice and choice. The complexity of the ecosystem is is such that we do, while notice and choice will remain a component of any any privacy bill, um, we shouldn't be limited to the notice and, notice and choice uh, paradigm, but think about a new paradigm. And that's a theme throughout the whole thing. Notice and choice doesn't work. But notice and choice is, to me, it it doesn't. It is meaningless to me. Right, and I, that's what one of them says. Choice is – people don't have a choice. They think I they do. They don't have a choice. I always just accept it and move on. Like I want to look at this website, and every single website says, oh, we're doing this to you. And it's just like it's just like those legal disclaimers. It doesn't – it means absolutely nothing to be notified that the system that is now the backbone of the marketplace that you cannot function without and live – has all these barriers. Try I tried to put barriers up against for my kids for that for websites they were accessing. And if you start saying if you really try to limit the websites they have access to, everything freezes up because Absolutely, yeah. somewhere along the line every website accesses another website. Well, this is what exactly. They talk about that exact thing. Listen to this. Data is like water. It flows. Uh, and it leaks. Um, and we see that in ad tech, uh, you know, some of those real-time bidding systems may be designed to serve ads without using names or other uh, identifiers, without disclosing that identifying information, but that there's the ability to retain information and to correlate it with other information to build uh, profiles. The ICO in, in England found that a single visit to a site can generate uh, hundreds uh, uh, of uh, contacts and you know, circulate uh, information to hundreds uh, of uh, organizations. Um, and as new developments, cookie controls, ad blockers, uh, uh, ad IDs come into play, somebody to protect privacy, somebody manages to design around them. So we are, in effect, in an, uh, an arms race in ad tech. Uh, and the only way I think we are going to deal with that is with a set of ground rules uh, that create a set of rules that everybody has to play by. I love that everything is an arms race. <laughs> right. And that they will create a set of rules that everybody has to play by. They're going to create the rules. And so. one website, just one website, gets, gets so much data is collected about us. 
just go into one website. So what are you saying? I, I'm just saying, like, did you hear? I'm saying we go to one website and we have no idea how much they're actually getting from us. Like hundreds of of things he was saying. Oh pieces yeah, of information. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the thing, and and they're all interconnected anyway. Yeah. So you can multiply that. No, that's why I never care. That's why I'm never ever. Like the twenty three and me, I was like, if they want my DNA, they're definitely getting it. <laughs> they have it already if they want. I know they have it if they yeah. want it. So, I mean, sensitive I believe- data is, is a question that people have. Is there different? Can you differentiate between sensitive data and not so sensitive data? Well, first, let me just say it. They gave us the internet as a data collection machine. Yeah, absolutely. So there's no talking about it like we are now going to give you rules that will blah, blah, blah your data. It's like, yeah, I, whatever. Like we're living in this in the Truman Show now. Yeah. I mean, they're, the data, the contrails, I will say contrails, the 5G, like all of this stuff is – completely beyond our control and they just give us this Kamala Harris yelling at Joe Biden so we think there's some participation and and not only is there none this stuff is actually a distraction from actual self-governance not participation in yeah Listen sorry to, to throw politics in there no, <laughs> this is all politics it, no, I have, cl- it's I have clips a- that, that talk about that it's so – whatever they're up to, they're up to using the government to create the scaffolding of the – I mean, not that they haven't already got it all, but like whatever they're doing, they're just doing the next gen of whatever they need to do to get what they want. Right. And listen, this guy says they, exactly they act that. act like it's ethics. Yeah. Listen, this guy says just that. We need to seize this moment before the default to polarization and partisanship takes hold, before people uh, become hardened in their positions, uh, before more states uh, step in and preemption becomes more intractable, uh, before people decide that privacy legislation is just too hard. They want to get there before the states can Right. Oh, my gosh. I mean – this is a conspiracy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just a conspiracy. <laughs> That's what it is. They're conspiring to over to to usurp our ability to govern ourselves. Yeah. That's what everything that that is exactly what he just said. Like before people get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Before people know right. what's happening to them. Exactly. I mean, I really I feel like I just got a roofie. Like I just feel <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like I just don't know what to do. I want to lock myself in the closet. Oh, listen to this one. This is about the types of data. If there's any, if they differentiate at all. The distinction between sensitive and, and non-sensitive data is nonsensical. And Amy's exactly right. Latanya Sweeney proved this out 20 years ago. She's a professor at Harvard. The, the linkage of data makes any piece of data that we have about you able to unlock virtually any other piece of data about you. So the idea that the one piece of data is somehow per se more sensitive, whether it's financial or medical, doesn't really matter, is an anachronistic notion that is 60 years um, dead and gone. And we should get rid of it because it arose 60 years ago with our, our initial um, privacy laws around the world and the, you know, the first iteration of the, the fair information practice principles. 
Isn't that what you were talking about? Uh, I have a lot to say, but what do you mean? 60 years ago, the the laws. Uh, 60 years ago was the 50s. 60 years ago is when they probably started having privacy laws and banking. I totally disagree with this guy. Yeah. It absolutely matters what kind of data you're talking about. And the more firewalls you put up, the more the less it's possible for those things to link to each other. He just wants to pull down the wall, the barriers. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I agree with him in that pretty much any piece of data about someone can lead to just about any other piece of data. Okay, but if you make stuff that is sacrosanct, like medical information or financial information, it will slow that process down. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you won't be allowed to use it. Yeah, so you can get it, and you can you can go around like that. But it w- would be, or if if you were really serious about cordoning that stuff off, it would be treated like the fruits of the poisonous tree kind of thing. Like you cannot use it. You can't if your business was built on it, you would be liable for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they need to keep those walls up. Well, the the brokers that they were talking about have built their business on this stuff on selling these lists that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and I I don't I don't know how this plays into that, but what he's saying about uh there's not to what what he is what he wants you to think he's saying is that it's all valuable and private and it all should be protected, but what he's actually saying is we have to put it all in one hopper. We can't have silos. And and the reason you can't have silos is cuz it would slow it down. Yeah. So he's that I mean that He's making that – it's a very self-serving point on his part, and I don't think yeah. it's true. Here is them talking about kind of what they do with some of this data, a little bit beyond what just the list are. There are a lot of layers to data collection, and so we like to think about data as the posts that we put on social media or the information that we turn over to certain companies when we sign up, our name, our address, our phone number – And that's all really important, but it's really only the surface layer of this ecosystem that we're talking about. And underneath that is the information that's picked up just by virtue of our existence. Um, When we walk around in the world, when we carry our phones, when our location is tracked, information that is picked up by inference. Um, When we sign into certain services, there are implications about when you're using those services. When do you eat meals in the evenings and when are you ordering delivery? That can lead to certain types of implications that get put into profiles about you and cause for certain decisions and determinations to be made. And then when we get into smart cities, connected cars, um, connected workplaces, to talk about two of the things that we're going to go into more detail, that collection gets a lot bigger And so it could be our conversations walking up and down the street um, picked up by a smart light post, which was something that I was researching in my career eight years ago. Um, You know, you think about these things as new technologies, but they've been around for a while and they're being deployed. It could be um, what is going on in our bedroom or what our children are doing through connected toys that are now um, collecting all sorts of information. This world is very large, and there are, we have to be thinking not only about that surface layer, but all the way down the stack. Okay. All the way down the stack. I Passive collection of data. Three things to say. Can I tell Lay you? it on me. All right. First of all, 
this thing about like how they can look at your data points and figure out stuff about you, the algorithms, I've been talking about it for years, ever since I saw that on the iPhone, you can go in there, you can turn it off so that you can't see it, but you can't turn it off so they can't see it. <laughs> they they catalog all of your all of your comings and goings. And oh, I think yeah. I told you about this once. I was like at the water cooler and some guy was standing there. I didn't know him. And I just said, oh, I said something. I don't, I don't know what was on TV that prompted me to just say this. And I said, oh, like the iPhone has this thing. Like they could basically like tell if you're having an affair just by like looking at if you are spending lunchtime at a residence that is not your home. The guy like went beat red, started stammering. I was like, I don't. He's like, I love my wife. I was like, I don't. I, I'm just going to back away now and I don't know who you are. (laughs) Sorry if I struck a nerve, but I, I've noticed it for years. I mean, and she did say this was something that was going on for years, but you know what? Another thing that she said that I, a couple of years ago, I saw an article in the wall street journal. And this is something that, that I liked person of interest, that TV show, but it was really just propaganda to soften you up for this constant surveillance and say that it was for something good the thing called shot spotter. Yeah. So so they have red light cameras everywhere. That's what they call them, red light cameras. But, of course, they are yeah. absolutely have nothing to do with running red lights. As a matter of fact, they stop sending you the tickets because if you do stop running red lights, they don't make any money. So they don't want you to really stop, which it would it actually stop the practice of red light running within 30 days, I think, near my house in Atlanta. Really? Yeah, because people, after like a month or two, you get a ticket every time. People were doing it on purpose. It's not like running a red light. It's like it turns red and you just keep going. So that was just the culture. You would just keep going. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There was a long yellow or whatever. I don't know why. Or short yellow. I don't know. But... But then once people realized, oh, I'll get a ticket at this one if I do that, they just stopped. And they were like, oh, this isn't – the tickets don't pay for the cameras anymore. Do we take down the cameras? Like, of course. I, was, I remember saying, like, they're not taking down the cameras. <laughs> you know, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. If you look, if you look yeah. around at a stoplight, they're everywhere. Because they're not – oh, there's like two or three on each one. And, yeah. and you never get a red light ticket. I never get a red light ticket. Never. And I, I run red light. I mean, I don't run them. I just like all, if I'm starting to make a left, it turns, you know, whatever. But then they, they wanted to also listen everywhere. So they invented this idea of shot spotter. Like if there's a, a, a gunshot somewhere in the world, we need a microphone on every single lamppost so we can hear the shot and it will alert the government and I'm just laughing like thinking of some like cop sitting somewhere and this thing pings along with the five trillion gazillion other little the sounds it's getting somebody's manning that you know what I mean? they wouldn't even know what the hell it was it would be, unless yeah. they're in a place that has a lot of gunshots and then they don't really need it they really kind of know where to go and then once the gunshots already been fired there's no you know what I mean maybe you can get somebody help but like it's just the cost and the intrusiveness of that for the benefit it just didn't make sense at all. They just had to make up a reason to put a microphone on every – and then – so this was a Wall Street And facial article. recognition. Facial and gait. That was the total information awareness, which they later, in retrospect, after it was discontinued, changed the name to terrorist information awareness because it was too obvious what they were doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and gate, gate recognition. That was so, interesting. The way that somebody walks, right? Yeah, so that you don't have to see their face. Listen to this. She's asked about facial recognition, about some of these cameras, and her answer is pretty interesting about 
uh, be, us being unable to opt out. Oh, sorry. Thoughts on technologies that are potentially more ubiquitous and people can't opt out of, such as facial recognition. I've, on the um, World Economic Forum's uh, Global Council on Consumption, and one of the things that we've been talking about over the last year is voice technology, which is the not necessarily a new technology, but a new interface that people are are, interf- are using and that different pieces of technology are building in. And I think that that type of collection as you walk past things is going to be quite broad, including in cars um, and what level people who are passengers in cars, including Ubers and Lyfts, somebody brought up Ubers and Lyfts, are consenting to that type of collection. So that's another one is voice. Biometrics beyond face um, is going to be a big deal. It blows my mind, the, um, the technology that's being embedded into just infrastructure throughout communities and cities um, is going to lead to a huge just increase in passive collection of information. I got to say, with that Uber and Lyft thing, I was trying to figure out why they have uh, Uber and Lyft have to be the most, the safest mode of transportation as far as like being attacked there could be because you you can track somebody all the time. These guys are registered. Yeah. So you're not getting away f- with it. It's like the red light cameras. 30 days into this program, everybody knows you're not getting away with it. So you'd have to be just bat shit crazy to, uh, to go and attack somebody would and you would do it anyway so i thought why are these uber and lyft stories getting in the news so much like bad things are happening to people uber and lyft and i thought uh i don't know if the policy came out or i was just waiting for a policy and then all of a sudden the change was okay we're doing continuous or repeated regular background checks like we're going to keep if you sign up for uber as a driver, and I'm sure it's going to go to the passengers too, and maybe it already has, you are consenting for us to do background checks on you all the time. Yeah. And I and I think – and so – Maybe any, biometric data they're collecting. Maybe your DNA from the inside of the car. And she's suggesting that this is – that taking – what she said was taking an Uber or Lyft is consenting to this kind of data collection. She said that. Yeah, yeah. And if they're phasing out having cars for Uber and Lyft, and I always smelled around with that because taxis had a stranglehold on politics in local governments from New York to San Francisco and probably everywhere in between. And when Uber started taking over those cities, it I, I was I could not believe it. And yeah. there had to be a bigger reason than there was. And then when Colin Kaepernick's parents were in that crazy accident and his mother died and it took that to get him to back out, I mean, he was he's the tech guy who didn't take the face job. Colin Kaepernick? Is that what you said? Not Colin Kaepernick. Travis. I was like, <laughs> Travis. Um, I think his name was Kaepernick. Tra- uh, Travis. Talking about the Uber guy. Yes, yes. Um, so he – but – so I always talk about these uh, – Kalanick, Kalanick. I always talk about these guys, these big tech guys who are the face job and the entrepreneur and the idea guy and the college dropout and all of these things. They're all of these things, and then they're doing the TED Talks, and they're on TV. Like they're, they, they're just soup to nuts, the representation of 
whatever their little subsector is, big subsector is in the industry, and there, and you can trace their histories back to military intelligence or the, uh, like that Johns Hopkins school and all this kind of stuff. But there's occasionally going to be a rogue guy like Travis Kalanick yeah. who just isn't going to play ball. And one of the things he wouldn't do was participate, was to communicate with the local governments. Uh, it, it was called operation gray ball and the government wanted all the data and he said, no. And, and that's when it all started that, I mean, I really tried to study his case and that's when he just started being demonized across the board and he still held his ground, held his ground, held his ground. Then when his mother died, I thought, I thought to myself, I bet he doesn't have a wife or kid. And I looked it up and he didn't because it would have been them, I thought, perhaps. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, so I just – Uber and Lyft are definitely there for a – you know, for for major purpose in data collection and control both. But data collection is a big one. Well, they go on to talk a little bit more about the types of examples of data collection that goes on in cars. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples of some of these technologies. There are external sensors that are analyzing the environment and reacting within the car, uh, as well as internal notification and convenience features. Um, one example is automatic emergency braking, which uses camera or radar-based sensors uh, on the front of the car to brake automatically if it detects that an accident is about to happen uh, and the driver hasn't braked in time. Eye-tracking technologies can track whether a driver is paying attention to the road and send notifications if they're falling asleep. There's also advanced versions of that now that try to do health monitoring to tell if, if someone is having a health incident. And oh, my gosh. Over. Um, vehicle-to-vehicle communication uh, is uh, enables the sending of messages between nearby vehicles that can send location, braking status, and heading. So if a car in the front needs to brake suddenly, it can communicate that message several cars back to help avoid a pileup. Um, this technology was estimated by the Department of Transportation to potentially address up to 80% of multi-vehicle crashes. Uh, and there was actually a lot of work done to create a federal mandate that would require vehicle-to-vehicle communication in all new cars. Um, and it would be mandatory, no opt-out uh, available. Uh, that is not currently going forward, but um, it was proposed during the uh, Obama administration. And there's definitely going to be versions of this technology incorporated going forward. Uh, the, the, exa- the debates are around the band of spectrum and not about the use of the technology. What do you think? I don't want anyone monitoring the inside of my body <laughs> and communicating it with somebody outside. I mean, it's just it's just a little invasive. Yeah, and we don't we can't opt out of it. Well, she was saying the yeah right the car companies could not opt out of it. They were, they also talk about how by twenty twenty two, it's gonna it's gonna start getting really hard to find cars that aren't this fully connected. And I assume that we won't be able to drive them anymore. So a very smart guy said to me, we got this really nice car, which I love. I wanted wanted an SUV with a carburetor. My husband brings home a 68 Fet. (laughs) It's gorgeous, (laughs) but it is not getting my kids and my dogs out of town if the grid goes down. Yeah. So I was... Not did not think that was the most practical choice, but it is beautiful. And a friend of ours said that these the prices of these things are actually probably peaking because number one, people like are 
there's nobody left who even remembers them. Like, there's nobody, like, even my son, I'm like, hey, man, you should learn how to fix this car. It's not that complicated. And he's like, definitely not. Like, I'm not, I can't even fix a bike. I'm just, <laughs> no, but I'm going to go kill some aliens. Like, okay. So they're not interested. And then I started to wonder if there will be gasoline. Where are we going to get the gasoline? Good question. Maybe it'll run on the blood of children. Smart grid. Um, well, my Corvette is not going to. <laughs> and these guys don't. I mean, it's not. It's not a. It's not a uh, a big revelation that they want us to be like electric cars and driverless cars and all that. Eliminate the getaway part of guns, gold, and a getaway. Yeah. You know, my parents had when I was a kid. They had one of those bag phones. Like those big, heavy phones Wow! that had one of those big, thick antennas on it. And up until a few years ago, you were still able to use it. But I don't know what they did or how they did it, but they somehow, the phone companies, cut off the ability for those to work because they were so powerful and so good that people were were able to communicate long distances, like internationally and stuff, with it without you know crystal clear without it breaking up and, and they were was it a cell? Do what? Did it go across cells? I don't know how these. What things was the work. mechanism? Yeah, maybe it was like a radio. It was. It wasn't. It, I don't know. It's one of those huge big bag phones from like the late eighties. I think those were cell phones. Okay, yeah. And oh, okay, yeah. It people were able to get they were they were able to like subvert some of the fees they would have had to pay if they had gotten these modern oh. cell phones. And so they op- they made them obsolete. And I, the same, I think uh, what you're saying there, and I think what's going to happen too, is they're going to make cars with carburetors obsolete. Gee, well, if you can't get the gas. Yeah. I mean, that would be one way to do it. How there would you, you get And gas is dangerous. Like you don't want to, I wouldn't want to store gasoline in my house. No, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, people used to have gas cans with gas in them. I know. Well, we still have some of those. Yeah, I just, I can't. I'm not not cool with that. So most of the people on this panel, it talked about some of the concerns with this technology. As you've heard, there was one woman who all she did the entire time was just talk about how great data collection is, how we don't need to worry about people collecting our data, how it is free speech for our data to be collected. She was a big advocate of it, and I'd like for you to listen mm. to, to mm-hmm. what she says about it. By show of hands, how many people have more than one smart device on them today? How many people have a smart TV at home? How many people have a wearable, a a watch, a shirt, a bra, some shoes? How many have bought a vehicle in the last, uh, let's say, 36 months? Smart vehicle. What about smart cameras, smart thermostat? I mean, I've got all that, and I want it to all work. I want my tech to work. Uh, For that to work, data's got to flow. She has a smart bra for that. Yeah, smart bra. <laughs> I guess it locks up if it's you not the right know. partner. It takes itself be off a if, it, if it is. Bra. Yeah, chastity bra. <laughs> and a smart thermostat, as you recall, a thermostat is how cyber hackers entered a major corporation. I can't remember which corporation, mm-hmm. and held them hostage by going in through a thermostat, a smart thermostat that was inside of a fish tank. Oh yeah, I remember that. And this woman also at one point said that data collection is free speech. I thought it was in that clip, but it wasn't. Yeah, that's – I mean this is where it starts. This is where 
we kind of live in the post-self-governance world because our tax dollars, our government, without our consent, I mean, I guess our being blind to it is we have culpability, but they they created this world on purpose. These people created this world on purpose. Yeah. And they they are making it, starting with not being able to transact in the marketplace without a, a device. You're just simply not able to. I mean, I yes. remember when I, I didn't yes. have a fax machine at home. I used to get yelled at at work. I was at work like 80 hours a week minimum, and they yelled at me for not having a fax machine at home. I was like, I never even go home. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. And uh, and you really can't – you just can't – cannot function – economically without this stuff. And now they're saying, uh, right, like we're not going to be able to drive around without this stuff. You're not going to be able to do anything. And it's not because this is how this massive labor shortage has created this demand to private companies to build up tech and capital investment to the point where everything is in the grid. It's not that. The 5G stuff, for example, is private companies are building it, but they are using the full force of the federal government to push down on localities. This is under the Trump, admi- Trump administration to push down and force them to accept it and not delay. They have 60 to yeah. 90 days. Yeah. So they're creating this. We cannot get away from it. There, It's public-private stuff. It's fascism. And, and free speech, letting that f- fascist governmental corporate continuum – tap into the stream of stuff that they have required us to put into the system is not them exercising free speech. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It just, it's when they talk about, you need a new legal architecture for this world. That's what Michael Chertoff says. I totally disagree. What we need is to not allow these people outside the law to create a world in which our laws become unenforceable but then how will our smart brawls work <laughs> i mean that's the funny part you'll you'll see people will say oh it's like so i'm gonna have a retinal scan for my for my door and at the airport and all this kind of stuff because it's just so much easier and yeah. I'm, I'm i mean i don't want to give up my retina <laughs> i just don't yeah like a demolition man and now i don't know if you've seen these signs i've seen them in the airport all the time there's one or two states that will not conform to the federal requirements for driver's licenses, for the amount of data collection, for the way that the driver's license is formulated. It's got a chip or something. I don't know what. But the federal government has in all the airports that they have taken over from from coast to coast, the airports are, are all like international property now. There's no reason for that. Or federal property. And they are saying that you cannot – if you have one of these rogue state driver's licenses, they will not accept it as valid United States ID that you will have to carry a passport around with you. So and I mean then that's I, a better I, solution than getting a, a directed energy microwave weapon pointed at you. Well, you're doing that anyway. You are definitely <laughs> stepping into the case where you get zapped by Michael Chertoff's machines. Yeah. I got one more for you. Which complements what you're saying there. Um, The second thing is choice. So when you get away from that top layer, and I would argue that we really don't have much of a choice about that top layer either if we want to participate in society. But as we go further down, choice seems to look like less of a solution. Um, 
when you're interacting through voice technologies, when you have these different interfaces, you can't necessarily opt out to the extent that you could choose not to use Facebook, for example, um, something that a lot of people use for as an example for me today. And so when we, if we focus around choice, and I think that's a theme that we've already heard today through Cam's opening remarks, through what Trevor said, um, we're losing part of the conversation. And so getting way past that in order to address all of that other collection and the threats that are both seen and unseen. Um, there are real worries that I think people have about the data that is collected about them and how that can be used. And there's the overt threats of, some. for some people, it's I'm getting served an advertisement that I don't want to see. I don't know if I necessarily see that as a threat, but some people do, and I take that to be legitimate. All the way down to, I'm having my information turned over to police, and it's being used to track and monitor my movements, which I think we see as a much more legitimate reason than thing to worry about. And that's just my basic data collection. When you move deeper and we talk about manipulation of people's activities and habits and the way we think, those, that's kind of where the future of technology is going. It's getting into a place where we're getting subtly nudged in certain directions um, by companies because of the data they're collecting about us and the profiles that are being built. By companies? Yeah, the only just thing that by companies. Me was the police. Yeah. The point about, and Atlanta is absolutely a first mover on that. With, it started with Operation Shield, and there are other things, too. Yeah, we're one of the test runs, the pilot cities, for the smart city. We we were on the steering committee for, like, something like that of the U.N. There, There's a few things. There's an I think I, that's why Kasim Reed was invited to the Bilderberg yeah. in 2014. Yes, there were a few things that we're uh, on the cutting edge of or first movers of, and it's a little bit hard to do the research on it. They don't. Uh, actually, where I found the stuff about being on the steering committee for that UN thing, I could never find it again. So I, I think I had the URL or whatever. I verified it, but it's not those those things are a little bit underground. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they're underground, but they're out in plain sight as well. Yes. 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 Agreed. No, they don't do that. They can't make it like that because then there's a smoking gun. It's so. When I, I'm still reeling from the study you sent me or the reference that you sent to me that 98% of all convictions are without our plea bargains. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, like that to me, if you don't see that we, the most important protection we have from the government is a jury trial. Why would all these people, why would any single, why would anyone on earth take a plea bargain? Because you're promised a better deal. And you're bullied, pressured. Yeah. You're, you're told you're going to get 40 years. Yeah. You don't. So, so it's, it is absolutely 100% um, a function of them uh, coercing you out of your constitutional rights. I mean, that, I mean, these are the things that you, you can open your eyes to and say, we are really living in a post-juridical or legal or whatever world. Yeah. And, and they, but... People don't know it, which is why the propaganda is so heavy. They care that we still think we're there. They won't always care. When the system, when it's a turnkey system, say when we have no guns, no gold, and no getaway. And they have all the robots. Yeah, then there's no, right. And with the robots, 
I mean, once they have all that, they have absolutely no reason whatsoever to care what we think. All right, we're about. I think that's about time to wrap it up. Okay. I want to read. Well, I want to read the Wikipedia page of the week for you because something that we said earlier reminded me about it, and because it came up during my research on this. Because that woman who just spoke, I was researching who she was, and. A lot of interesting articles came up. She is frequently quoted in articles about smart sex toys and the data that they collect, and I was specifically struck by a term I had never seen before, and I'm going to read you the Wikipedia, the beginning of the Wikipedia page entry for this word just because I think it sounds funny. (laughs) Teledildonics. (laughs) That is funny. Teledildonics, also known as cyberdildonics, is technology for remote sex or at least remote mutual – I'm not going to – I won't go that far with it. But <laughs> where tactical sensations are communicated over a data link between the participants. The term can also refer to the integration of telepresence with sexual activity that these interfaces make possible. So, yeah, teledildonics, smart dildos, she talks about the data being collected when they're used that people are unaware that's being collected about them. Do they, is there no limit? Is there no, I thought it was bad when my car was inside my aorta. Huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think I draw the line with that. Well. Oh, my goodness. Some people better. And be careful because they're they're smart vibrators listening. People like us conceive of these things. The kids don't. They just give up. They don't. They know that total surveillance is impossible to escape. They don't. They can't. It's just you're fatigued by it. They're probably going to have an Alexa in these things before you know it. It's going to be talking in a muffled voice. It's going to happen. There's Alexa in everything. On that note. On that note, thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> thank you, everyone who's donated, who's supported us. Uh, we appreciate it. You are the reason we are able to continue producing shows. And anybody who wants to support the show, you can via Patreon or PayPal. I'll put the links in the description. You can share the show. You can leave us a, a great review on iTunes. And you can send the show to somebody that you want Monica to to um, short, circuit. short circuit. Yeah, that's right. To deprogram. <laughs> and they can listen to future shows. Thank you again. I love it. I do want people to uh, share and subscribe, and I just uh, love to see that positive feedback. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Later. See you later.